Welcome to Rewild, a podcast about simple business and slow living. I'm your host, Nisha Woolery. In nature, to rewild means to restore an area of land to its natural, simple, uncultivated state. I like to apply the same principle to business owners. I help online service providers rewild their life and business by simplifying so they can work less, earn more, and live more. We say goodbye to hustle culture, overwhelm, and the never-ending pursuit of growth and say hello to a simpler, more fulfilling life and business. A business that gives you financial abundance and also time for slow mornings, travel adventures, reading, healing, making and living. I built a six-figure online business while working just three to four days a week and traveling the world. I put my life before my business, but that didn't mean I had to live like a starving artist. You don't have to choose between making good money and living a simple, peaceful life. You can have both. And with this podcast, I hope to show you how. Just wanted to briefly interrupt this episode to let you know about my free masterclass, How to Book Clients Consistently and Scale to Recurring 5K Months. You are smart, capable, and resilient enough to reach consistent 5K months in your online service-based business. But selling yourself and putting yourself out there can feel overwhelming, I know. If you're being honest, it downright sucks. You're struggling to make a consistent income that doesn't just cover your bills, but empowers you to live the lifestyle you long for. Everywhere you turn, the marketing gurus are telling you to do hashtag all the things like join LinkedIn, start a Facebook group, try Facebook ads. It feels like too much for one person to juggle on top of client work. You know the simplest way to grow your income is to increase your prices, but it just feels way too scary. You've watched all the marketing webinars and you've listened to all of the marketing podcasts, but you're ready for real answers. You're tired of wasting time and energy on content that gives you zero results. Your efforts so far haven't put you on the path to consistent clients or 5k months one bit. Maybe they've given you some great ideas or things you know you should do, but you still somehow backslide into old habits or overwhelm. So I'm here to help. I have a free masterclass that will show you how to book clients consistently and be on your way to recurring 5k months without overwhelm or a million marketing strategies. You're going to learn my eight-step blueprint for generating consistent 5k months from your online service business, the top three reasons why you're not booking clients consistently and how to change that, and my 5k months business plan so you can see the math behind the income shift. To register for free, head to nishawillery.com slash get clients or click the link in the show notes. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. I've got a great episode for you today where I'm interviewing a student of mine, Amy Quo. Amy is in both of my courses, so I know her quite well from the course communities and from our chats on Instagram. 
And in this episode, she shares how she went from being a new freelancer who only booked three clients her first year to being a six-figure design studio. Amy also shares her journey from being employed as a designer at Disney to being let go and having to start her own business. We also dive into all kinds of other stuff like why overnight success does not exist, why streamlining your client process is so important if you want to build a great business reputation and get more referrals, how Amy got a client that makes up 50% of her income, hint, referrals, and so much more. Amy even shares her thoughts on my courses for those of you who are interested in possibly joining those. So there is so much good stuff in this episode, particularly if you are in your first few years of business, or maybe you haven't taken your business full-time yet. So let's dive in. Hey, Amy, and thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, you're so welcome. Excited to talk with you today. I know, I'm excited to talk with you too. I feel like I have kind of known you for a really long time because you've been in my courses and, you know, we talk sometimes in Instagram DMs. So it's always just really nice to be able to put a face to the name. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I know I've been following you for so many years and it's just fun to like finally, I can't remember if we've actually chatted before other than like DMs and stuff. So it's just, it's just really exciting to be able to talk with you and be able to say, oh, we're friends now. Yay. (laughs) I know. I know. It's always so exciting. Like when I bridge that gap between student to friend, I'm like, right now I know this person like face to face. Like it's so cool. Um, Yeah. Why don't you go ahead before we dive into the, the nitty gritty stuff? Why don't you go ahead and just tell everyone a bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah. So my name is Amy Quo and I am a brand strategist and brand designer Um, I run Author Brand Studio based in Orlando, Florida. And so that is my uh, design studio I've been running for about four years. So I really niche in brand strategy. So that is helping business owners come up with kind of the unique story that their business tells and really making an emotional connection with their audience. So I'm all about helping businesses understand what they do, who they do it for, and why it matters to them. And then really using that story to make that emotional connection with the people that they serve. Oh, I love that. You know what? For a moment, I thought you were going to say um, that you like specialize in working with authors and writers and stuff. Because I know, I get that a lot. Do you? <laughs> See, because I literally just interviewed a student who does that and I was like, no way, oh, I'm going to wow. have like, two who are in the exact same, like, very specific niche, but you're not. <laughs> but yours is really cool too. Yeah. Yeah. I actually named my business author because I always wanted to be a writer and like write stories and stuff when I was a kid. That was my dream. And then I got into graphic design and branding. And then I learned that branding is basically storytelling. It's just telling stories with visuals. And so I named my business author because I wanted that concept of storytelling and kind of that like quaint home feel like that vintage feel as well. You kind of think of like a quill pen or something like that. Um, and so that's why I named my business that. But I do get that every now and then I'll get some people saying, oh, do you do work for authors? And I do sometimes, but it's not my niche, but I get that a lot. But I try to make sure that that story is a little bit more well known to avoid any confusion. No, no, I like that though, because I do think that, you know, people tend to think that branding is just about visuals mm-hmm. and it's not like everybody's brand should tell 
a story. Everyone's brand does tell a story. So I like that you kind of work that into your design business. And I, and I guess it's a way as well that you can stand out from other designers as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, back when I worked at Disney, one of the teams I worked on, their tagline was, everyone has a story, we help you tell yours. And I was like, ah, oh, dang it, I wish that wasn't taken because I would totally <laughs> use that for my business. But oh, well, it's trademarked, so. <laughs> no, I love that. I love that. So you used to work at Disney. So um, yes. were you a designer at Disney as well? Yes. Yeah, I was a designer and project manager at Disney for about two and a half years total. Wow. And what made you decide to quit that job and start freelancing? Yeah. So I actually didn't quit, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> I got laid off due to budget cuts. I'm sure we've all been there. Yeah. But I had been there for about two and a half years, almost three years at that point, and was just, you know, kind of one of the lower, lower status people. And we went through some reorganization and so my job got cut, which was really devastating. Um, because I'd I had always imagined I would be there. I had sort of had a dream of starting my own business, but I thought that would be way down the road once I had a couple of decades of, you know, agency or professional career, professional experience, LOL. As if running your own business is not professional experience, right? <laughs> but I always imagined that would be like way later down the road. And so it was just, yeah, it was really hard to um, to have that. But um, around the time that I, you know, was laid off from Disney, um, I started a job at an ad agency as a project manager, um, and that was really great experience. And I'm sure we'll kind of talk about that a little bit more because that actually related more to running my own business in some ways than working at Disney did. But yeah, so so around the time I got laid off from Disney, I started working at an ad agency, and that experience is really relevant to running my business now, which is kind of ironic. But um, around that same time, I went through a lot of personal stuff in my personal life. Uh, I got married, we moved, I lost my mom. Four weeks later, my dad had cancer and had his own cancer journey. And working a demanding job on top of that, it was just a lot at the time in my physical health, my mental health, everything just completely tanked. And kind of about maybe about like a year after starting that job at the agency, like I just knew like I I couldn't perform on a day-to-day basis. Like I just couldn't do it. And so I was like, well, I guess my only option is to freelance. Like I can't go get another job. Like I can't even show up and work nine to five at my current job. And I was, you know, able to get stuff done ish, but I was just crying all the time. I'm sure a lot of people can really relate to that story. Like you go through some personal stuff, especially the last two years we've had, you know, as a world, you know, you go through a lot of personal stuff and then you're working a job that isn't a good fit for you. It may be a great environment and supportive and great people, but maybe the job isn't a good fit or, you know, you're you're just, you just can't perform, you know, and smile, you know, at the 9.30 a.m. meetings every day when you were just crying at home an hour before. And it's just kind of hard to kind of live in that balance. And so then I just basically felt like I had no other option, but to just hand in my two weeks notice quit that job and just breathe. And I just breathed for the first time in maybe a year or two years or something. And that was huge. I had this huge weight lifted off of me as soon as I made that step. But then it was like, well, I hadn't been really freelancing a lot on the side. And my portfolio was basically all Disney work, which was under you know confidentiality. And so I just basically had no clients, no portfolio, really, other than a few pieces from college and a few personal projects I just made up. And then I just had to go for it and just kind of take that, take that leap, dive into the deep end. And it was like crickets. It was like crickets for a really long time, but that's just kind of how I started. And so, but I remember 
sitting in my office when things were slow, I shouldn't have done this, but we all do this when you're like at a job you don't like and things are slow. You kind of like, you get on Pinterest and yeah. then you start reading about freelancing. And then like, I came across your blog and all of your blog posts four years ago, four years wow. ago, I remember finding you and you. And I think Jenna Kutcher were like the two people I found who first told me that this was even an option, that this could even be a possibility that I didn't have to sacrifice my mental health to stay in a job that wasn't right for me, that I actually could freelance and make this happen. And so I think that's what really encouraged me to make the leap and do that. Oh my goodness. I, I feel like there are so many parallels to our stories of how we first got started with freelancing because yeah. when I first began, I worked in retail. So I waitressed and then I um, worked in a shop. And then I remember at the time I would be in the stock room and I would be like sat there on this tiny stool in all these rows of clothes where nobody could really see me. And I'd be <laughs> on my phone on Pinterest going through, you know, finding these articles about how to start freelancing and how to book your first clients. And, and I remember thinking, oh my goodness, like maybe I could do yeah. this instead. Or I would be there on the... Um, the shop floor. And we used to have like this quite big diary that we would have mm-hmm. to write the sales of the day in and stuff like this. And um, I would just like stand there. It would only be me in our department for the day. And I would just like kind of stand there with the big diary in front of me, but my diary inside, because it's a bit smaller. Oh, <laughs> and I would clever. just be like <laughs> stood there planning my business this entire time whilst oh, getting wow. paid yeah. to just like do yeah. my job and like stand on the shop floor. It was, yeah. yeah. It was quite funny, but yeah, I just thought, oh, it sounds so similar. And I guess for so many of us, Mm -hmm. we do start in that place where all it takes is us, you know, stumbling across other people who are doing what we Mm want to do, who can show us that, hey, this is actually a possibility and you don't Mm -hmm. have to stay in a soul-sucking day job that you don't like or in a day job yeah. that you just aren't being paid well for or whatever it may be, whatever is whatever's mm-hmm. making you dislike that job. Sometimes all it takes is seeing that other people have paved a different path mm-hmm. to make you realize that yeah. it's possible for you as well. Yeah. And that someone's been in a situation that feels as impossible to get out of as you might feel like somebody who can relate to your story being stuck in you know, a low-paying job that they hate or, you know, my story where it's, you know, I just couldn't perform at a, any kind of nine-to-five job at all, period. And so I just had to just go for it with no clients. And yeah. Yeah. It's possible. Anything is possible. And now you have created this six-figure business, which we'll we'll dive into a bit <laughs> later in this interview. But first of all, I'm kind of curious what the challenges were for you going from working at a big company like Disney as a designer and project manager to then being your own boss and freelancing? Like what challenges did you see as a freelancer that you weren't really used to from being in a team and working for a company? Yeah, for sure. I think the biggest thing is that everything's just relying on me now. And it's still something I feel to this day. You know, you never leave that feeling when you run your own business, but everything's on your shoulders. Like there's no more job security. Actually, no, I changed that I think there is more job security for me now than there was when I worked for a big corporation. But on the other hand, I always knew I was getting a paycheck at the end of those two weeks, barring, you know, reorgs and job, you know, cuts, what which I did experience, you know, but you know, other than that, you just basically just do your work and do it as well as you can. 
you know, but you're still equally thinking about how do I move up or how do I impress the boss or whatever. But the added burden now of being a freelancer or a studio owner is that it's up to you to find the clients and up to you to win them and maybe experience different skill sets or things that you're not that gifted in or you don't enjoy doing, you know, like finances or sales and networking or things like that. Like now it's kind of all up to you for the most part. And so you have to learn to be multidisciplinary, whereas at, you know, working for someone else, you can just kind of stay in your lane and do what you want to do. So I think, I think that was a big challenge for me at first still is a challenge, but that's just the nature of the business. Like I wouldn't trade it now for anything, because I think that makes me a more diverse, well-rounded person because I am learning some of these skills or things I really hate, like finances. I just tell my husband to do it for me. (laughs) So I'm like, great. But, you know, I still have to, I still have to be more savvy and aware of things as well, too. I can't just pass everything off. So it's kind of making me a more well-rounded person, which I think is helping all areas of my business. And I definitely think the client relationships as well is different. Um, At Disney, there is such a big focus on, you know, the guest experience, as they call it. And I even experienced that, as we call it, backstage, which is where you work with, um, you work in a professional office setting. So on stage is where you work in the parks with the guests who come in, you know, working at Fantasyland or whatever. And then backstage is working basically anything where you're not interacting with the guests in the parks. And so I was a backstage role, but even those uh, key brand values of how Disney wants you to treat the guests is also expected to be treated amongst one another, which was a really beautiful environment to work in. It wasn't perfect, but for the most part, like people were really collaborative. Um, you know, one thing I learned was, you know, you don't say no, you just say, here's what we can do, which at one hand kind of promotes an unhealthy culture of just say yes. But on the other hand, it was instead of being like, no, I can't do that period. It's like, okay, um, that's going to be challenging. Here's what I can do instead. And so having that more collaborative attitude is something that really has carried over into freelancing. But on the other hand, you know, as a agency owner, you know, as freelancer, I also have the added responsibility of choosing, do I even want to work for this client? Do I want to terminate our relationship? You know, how do I want to handle this situation? Whereas when you work for somebody else, you're kind of just, you have to handle whoever you're given or whatever client or project you're given. You don't really get that autonomy of saying, hey, I'm actually in the driver's seat here. And if this relationship is not financially beneficial for the amount of stress they're causing me, I had a client like that in 2020 where they were causing most of my stress and they were only about 5% of my revenue. And I was like, all right, well, it's time to very politely and very kindly point them in another direction. And that's kind of a, you know, an added responsibility that as a freelancer, you have to take on and have to make those decisions. That was really something that I hadn't had to experience before when I worked for somebody else. And so I actually think what's interesting is my role now actually relates a lot more to like the roles of my managers at Disney or wherever, where, you know, they're creative directors, they're overseeing the creative, but they're also managing the business side, like the processes, the systems, the finances, the project management, you know, the client relationships, even clients being other partners internally at Disney, it's still considered a quote unquote client at that point. And so it's just, it's very, I mean, you're wearing a lot of hats in a role kind of like that. And so that's very much like what my role is like now. And that's something that I witnessed, but never actually experienced directly for myself until I started running my own business. 
Yeah, I know what you mean. You have to, you end up having to wear a lot of hats when you're running your own business, especially in the beginning when you don't necessarily have the budget to Mm -hmm. hire subcontractors or hire an assistant um, or hire like developers and designers in your case um, to help share the workload. And I think that can be a bit of a shock to the system for new business owners in particular, because when you're in a nine to five job, you have pretty much one role, like one key role that you play in a team. And then when you're working for yourself, you end up having to juggle everyone's roles. Like you said, you end up having to be the bookkeeper and be the marketer and be um, in charge of client relationships and client experience. You wear a lot of hats and some of them are really ugly hats. (laughs) Yeah. Some of them are really ugly hats. Some of them are really boring hats as well. Um, Like the admin side of things and the numbers and stuff like that. Um, So I think that can be a bit of a shock to a lot of Mm -hmm. of new business owners. Um, What would you say was like the hardest role for you to take on when you first began in your business? Definitely. I think definitely finding new clients, putting myself out there. So kind of the sales and marketing side as well. Um, and I do think admin as well. I think I did have some experience with project management and client relationships and things like that. Um, and obviously, like uh, Organize and Automate was huge for helping me set up systems and processes, honestly, when I first started. But I think it was just, you know, again, like you have to go find your next client. It's like you do one client, especially in the early days, you do one client and you're like, all right, where's the next one? And it may yeah. be a couple of days or it may be a couple of weeks or months. You know, it's just kind of hard to say like, oh, I have to go out there and put myself, you know, and make myself uncomfortable by networking or doing things. And there's so many different ways to go about that in ways that aren't, you know, showing up to the meet and greet and, you know, shaking hands with people and the cocktails or whatever stuff. Like I I hate all that stuff. So (laughs) I love that you talk about networking for introverts because that's me for sure. But it's sometimes you do have to kind of start doing that or say, okay, now I have to figure out how to go about networking in a way that feels right and authentic for me. And you have to research that and see what other people are doing and get ideas and try things. So I think that was definitely one of the biggest uh, transitions that I had to make, especially in the early days was being like, oh, that's that's one of the ugliest hats I had to wear, as, as I say. <laughs> this is one of the ugliest hats I had to wear was, okay, now I've got to you know, put on the networking and sales hat. Oh, I hate, I hate doing this role, but you know, it's, it kind of became easier a little bit. It's still something I don't enjoy, but now I'm learning more of how to do it in ways that feel more authentic to me. But at the early days, I just really didn't know anything. Yeah, no, none of us do. Yeah. <laughs> none of us do. How did you how did you actually end up getting your first clients? That's a great question. Can you um, remember? I, I have to go back. I had been doing some freelance work uh, for my church. So every now and then they sent me like two projects. So it's not consistent at all. Yeah. So they sent me a few projects and then I think actually my husband was talking with somebody like a ministry partner at our Mm -hmm. church and they mentioned something about branding a website and he is a great salesman. And so he came home and he's like, Hey, I think I've got someone interested in working with you. And I was like, wow, that's great. So that was, that was great. Um, a couple of personal connections. I think I did like maybe two or three client projects that first year I was in business. Yeah. Um, it was, but again, I mean, look at where I started, no clients. It's not like I had been building this up for six months on the side with a nice little stash of clients, like waiting to book with me. Like I just basically started from zero at all. And I also had a lot of mental and physical health things that I was working on. So I wouldn't change it how I started that. And then I think um, what really kind of started to snowball things more was 
maybe about a year later. So um, about a year into freelancing. Again, my first year was pretty slow and that's just where it needed to be for my story and that's fine. But then I joined a um, kind of an online uh, mastermind or a coaching community. It was about like 2000 people in this um, and it was paid. And so it was a paid private Facebook group. And so I just kind of started in there just saying like, hey, here's me, here's my story, here's what I do. Just trying to be really authentic and make connections because it's what I love to do. And so I just started kind of with one person and then the next and then the next. So a lot of personal connections of whoever I could get around town, um, whoever I knew personally, who could send me some work. Um, and then some of these like online communities as well was really helpful. That's kind of how it started in the early days. Yeah. And I like that you you said that you did things that you enjoy, like you made connections with people because that's mm-hmm. the thing that you enjoy. And I think that when we do marketing that we enjoy, not marketing that mm-hmm. we think we quote unquote should do, then it just makes marketing a lot easier for us. Oh yeah, but, um, absolutely. My other question I was thinking as, as you were saying all of this is that I think for a lot of, of new freelancers in particular, it can be quite stressful when they first begin this journey into entrepreneurship, um, mm-hmm. especially like hearing how you weren't building your business up on the side. You just kind mm-hmm. of like started your business. So I guess you mean you quit, well, you lost your um, nine to five and mm-hmm. then you just like had to go, had to do this thing. Yeah, like, right hit the ground running there was no like safety cushion of Mm -hmm. clients and income that you had been saving up from this side hustle business so that is quite Mm -hmm. stressful and then wearing all of those hats is very or it can be very stressful as well so yeah can we can we talk about that like how did you how did you feel about all of this like was it stressful for you was it overwhelming Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, it was hard. I think what was really hard because I was, I was married at that point and still am, but you know, I just been married about a year at that point. My husband had to leave his job at Disney and his career at Disney to get a better paying job to support us because I was making no money. And I really struggled with that. I think anybody who may be in a dual income relationship like that can understand where, you know, maybe the other person is bringing in money and you're not, and then you just feel like you're not contributing anything. And there's just a lot of mindset there to get over. Um, so that was a big deal. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, how to find clients, how to go about doing all that stuff, how to set up the business and get started and running and just like kind of launching into this venture. So it was, it was definitely a lot for sure. Um, and then at the same time, you know, balancing mental health, physical health and try and saying, starting my business from day one. And I think, again, you were an early voice who talked about this of saying like, I'm not willing to sacrifice my mental, my mental and physical health to build a business. And because I had been in that position where my mental and physical health had been ruined from, you know, family trauma for sure. But then also from just working again, my job was fine. My agency job was fine before then, but it wasn't a good fit. It wasn't fulfilling. And it was nine to five or more and every five days a week, no matter how you feel. And it just wasn't a good fit for me. And so, you know, kind of saying, okay, I want to embrace this new path that I'm on and say, Hey, this is okay. This is where I'm at right now. But it actually took me, I really think it took me about like a year, maybe a year and a half to really embrace it. I all of, so I started in 2018 and then in 2019, you know, it was still such a slow year. I actually made as much in 2019 as I had in my first year 
while working twice as much, I made the exact same amount of money, which was all less than if I just worked at Starbucks part-time. It was an abysmally small amount of money. But again, it's just how I started. Some people have, they'll start freelancing and they'll like make their full-time salary in their first year or their first, or they'll double it in their first year. And I had this unhealthy expectation that that would happen to me without really looking at the realities of where I started. But like I said, I wouldn't change how I started for anything. I'm so glad I went through that journey of having, you know, basically no money, no clients, no portfolio, because it's just, it's just so much more humbling to look back and say, here's where I'm at now versus here's where I started. But I think that was, it was just a long struggle. And because things really weren't picking up for me, I really, I just wanted to go back to Disney all the time. I was like, I just want to go back to the dreamland and go back and work for the mouse. But I think in 2019, I just kind of had this moment where it just finally clicked. And I was like, okay, I'm going to embrace that. This is the path I'm meant to be on. And I'm going to accept that and celebrate it and embrace it and own it and just say, I'm really going to run for this. And I'm really going to try to make this thing work. And that was a big pivot point, point for me. Around that time, I also found my niche of brand strategy and said, you know what? I'm going to specialize in this and try to be known for this versus just taking on any job I can get my hands on just to get money. I decided a niche and have a specialty to be known for. And yeah, I still do non-branding work even to this day. That's a big part of my business. But my external, my brand positioning is I'm a brand strategist. And that's a lot of work that I do. And so once I kind of found my niche, found my passion, reignited for that niche, and decided to embrace the path that I was on instead of wishing life had had turned out differently for me, I said, I'm glad I'm at where I'm at now then that's really when things turn around for me. And then it's just really exploded from there. So I think it took me a really long time to get to that point. Hopefully it took people, it takes people a little bit shorter than that. But I mean, it sounds like you can relate to that as well, where, you know, you kind of start freelancing and then it just doesn't take off at first. And you wonder like, what am I doing wrong? What's wrong? Why isn't this going the way all the Instagram gurus tell, told me it would go? <laughs> I'd make a six figures in my first six months. Like it may not, it may happen and it may not happen, but that's, both are both are fine and both are beautiful stories. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to let everyone in on a secret that's listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> Most of you who start freelancing will not make six figures in your first year. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. I know that it's shocker. Possible. It's 100% possible. But is that the norm for absolutely everyone who starts a business? No, not necessarily. Mm -hmm. And I think that the problem becomes, not necessarily problem, because I love seeing people win and people share their success stories. And just, I love seeing people doing well, because I feel like that's evidence that we can do it too. But mm -hmm. sometimes there can become this problem online where all of the business gurus are saying, you know, I made six figures in my first six months and I reached seven figures in my first year and I got 100,000 followers in my first year. And we can see that so much online and on like on Instagram and on YouTube and all these places that it creates this unrealistic expectation that 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 is the norm and that's what mm -hmm. we're supposed to achieve in a short time frame that's what we're supposed to get to in our first 12 months of business and then mm -hmm. when we don't it can be like this feeling of I've fallen short and mm -hmm. I'm really behind and I yeah. just I'm not as good as these people and I should be there and what's wrong with me and how mm -hmm. have I have I done things 
like wrong in my business. And I just, I think that that's not necessarily like the case. I think Mm -hmm. it does kind of help to remember that overnight success is never an overnight success. Mm -hmm. Like I guarantee that the people who reached six figures in their first year, it probably wasn't their first business, their first attempt Mm -hmm. at a business, or they have a family member, like a husband or a mother or a father or a brother or a sister or someone who is an entrepreneur who has like kind of taught them the skills of entrepreneurship, (laughs) consciously or subconsciously. They may have had like all these different things. They may have privileges that you don't have. They may come from a wealthier family than you, live in a wealthier area than you, Mm -hmm. have had all of these different advantages than you perhaps or simply maybe they don't have kids and you have kids mm-hmm. there's all these different factors that come into play that I think that all of us just kind of forget about when it comes to comparing where we are in business to where somebody else is or how well we have done in our first year or two compared to how well mm-hmm. such and so-and-so has done and I just don't think that serves us very well because at the end of the day your journey is completely unique to you. It's nobody else's journey and it shouldn't look exactly the same as anybody else's journey either. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) I got on my soapbox a little bit then, but yeah. (laughs) No, I'm also super passionate about that too, because that was my story. And, and I don't think that means that if your business is slow when you're starting out, it doesn't mean that you have to go back to that soul sucking day job. I mean, again, consider your finances. Maybe you do or have to do something on the side. Maybe, maybe you do work at Starbucks while running your business for a season. Like, and that's better than working at the job you were last at. Great. Go do that. But it doesn't mean that you're a failure. It doesn't mean that things won't turn around. I think, you know, my, again, I love that you say like overnight success is not overnight because it's really not, you know, my business, my story is one of just keep going one foot after the other, even when I didn't want to, even when I thought, is this thing actually going to work? Are we actually going to make this? Like, is this thing going to take off or not even take off? Is this just going to be profitable and successful? Like that's, that's all I wanted, you know, and it finally did, but it took a while to get there. And just a story of just keep going. So just quickly interrupting this episode to remind you of my free masterclass, how to create a welcome page in just one hour. A welcome page is a web page that you send to your clients before the project begins, outlining everything your client needs to know about working with you effectively. If you've ever had issues with clients handing in files, payment or feedback late, or your clients have tried to walk all over your boundaries, trying to talk with you on weekends or ask for just one more free revision here and there, well, a welcome page will help put an end to all of that. It guides your client through your policies, boundaries, and processes so that your projects flow smoothly and happily. In my free masterclass, I'll teach you 10 vital things your welcome page must include, when to send your welcome page, one tweak that will get your clients to hand in files and feedback on time always, and three examples of welcome pages and packets. Again, this one hour class is totally free. So to sign up, head to organizeandautomate.com slash class. Well, what would you say you would do differently if you could go back to the first 
couple of years of your business and you have the experience that you have now and you have the hindsight that you have mm-hmm. now. I know that we would all say, um, I wouldn't do anything differently because it taught me lessons. Yeah. <laughs> but if you could, and if that wasn't an option, oh, answer to say, say you could go back and do something different, what would it be for you? Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> um, I mean, I was about to say I wouldn't do anything differently, but you took that answer. No, um, I, I think... Because, because again, where I was, you know, I really had to focus on mental and physical health that first year. That was so important. I think I wish I would have given myself that time and space that I needed um, and kind of be more at peace with that being a slow season, be more at peace with days going to counseling and then coming back and watching TV for an hour. Like, is that a great life? No, but it's kind of where I was for a season and like saying like, hey, it's okay. That's not going to be my forever story. And it doesn't mean I was lazy or whatever. Nobody told me I was lazy, but I told myself I was lazy and just saying, Hey, it's, it's also okay. I think I wish I had done more personal projects as well. I think that's kind of a unique one, but I wish I had done more just personal design projects to add to my portfolio. I don't think I really did a lot. Um, I took on a lot of low paying clients at first start. And I know some people say never, ever do that. And I know some people say, you just got to start doing it. And I think I'm more in that camp where you just kind of have to start doing that. If if you're in a place where I was, where you just have no clients, no work, like you kind of have to start where you can start, but then you're always looking forward to growing and pushing forward and knowing the value that you offer. So yeah, I think I wish I... So I did start by doing that, but I wish I'd done more personal projects so I could have scaled that value that I offered more. I think I wish I would have invested more in myself and my business sooner. I O and A Organize and Automate was the first investment I made in my business, except for my business license, obviously. But like, I'm so glad I did that because that was a great investment, and it's something I still tell people. Like, if they're starting their own freelance business, I'm like, oh my gosh, you have to take this course. It's so good. It was the first investment I made, but I didn't really make that many other investments until about 2020, really. Like, I think I made one to join that um, mastermind academy thing, but that was pretty low cost, honestly, um, at least for me. And so it was, that was like, whatever. But I didn't really make a lot of investments until 2020 when I invested in a coach and a coaching mastermind with like a smaller group um, at, at Brain Strategies, who's he's still my business coach today. He's the one who told me, it's like, hey, you can hit six figures before you turn 30, which I just turned 30 at the end of 2021, so a couple of weeks ago. And I just hit my six figures like a couple of days before that. And I was like, yes, but like, I never would have dreamed of it if I hadn't had a coach telling me that and investing in courses. Like I've also invested in Simple Sales School, such a great course. I love it. I still need to go back through and revisit some segments now that I'm continuing to grow and work on my marketing this year. Um, but investing in that, and like I said, the coaching mastermind, a couple other courses that are more focused on brand strategy on my specialty those were all really great. And I, it is crazy that investing in yourself and your business, it kind of does have this direct effect on your growth where I would make these investments and all of them were scary. Even investing in my coach for this year, a couple thousand dollars for a year of coaching, but I know it's going to be worth it. And, or even when I invested in hiring my first team member, bringing her on for five hours a week or 10 hours a week or whatever, when I first started with her, Like, I didn't know if I was ready to make that kind of investment, but then the work just kind of came and filled up and then the business grew. And so I always feel like growth follows that investment and it's a leap of faith at first, but the growth follows afterwards. And so 
anyway, going back to the original question, I think I wish I had learned that lesson a little bit sooner and been a little bit less uh, shy about making investments. But at the same time, I can also look back and say, well, I did. I think I made the right investments at the right time for where I was at. And so I think I'm glad I did all that. Yeah, no, I agree. Because that's always the thing that I say when people ask me, like, what would you go back and, and do differently? I pretty much say a similar thing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would have invested in myself earlier because I think that it would have helped me instead oh, yeah. of reinventing the wheel so much mm-hmm. and trying to figure out everything by myself. It would have just been so much faster and easier for me if I had invested in courses and coaches and things like that mm-hmm. to just kind of get me going and gain momentum a lot faster than I did because I'm kind of similar to you in my first three years of business I made under 10,000 pounds per year I think in my first Mm -hmm. year of business I made like 3,000 and something Mm -hmm. which is is not good yeah (laughs) and so um yeah and I just I just think that if I had just been a bit more I don't know, less shy, like you said, about investing in myself and learn from people who were already in the place that I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. It would have helped me to get there a lot, a lot faster and a lot easier. But yeah, based on, you know, what we both kind of said, I guess, what was difficult for you about investing in yourself? I know you said that um, Organize and Automate, which is my course, was your mm-hmm. first business investment, first course. So yes, what that was... was- Yay. So um, what was it for you that made you like feel scared to to take that leap of faith? Yeah. So I think you kind of asked two questions there. The first one was, you know, kind of the mindset about investing in general. And then I think the second one was specifically for organized automate. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 So I'll start, I'll start with the first one. So I think in general, it's kind of, I've noticed it's a big mindset shift as well that it's investing in myself and not just my business. And it's not, it's not a cost, it's an investment. And I think that's something that we can put on an Instagram post and we can just kind of click the like button and scroll past, but it doesn't really sink in until you actually understand, oh, this is an investment, not a cost. And you've seen it over and over again and it doesn't really sink in. But then when you're the one holding the purse strings, you're the one trying to find those clients to make that investment, it feels like a cost. But realizing that there is maybe a short-term sacrifice or a leap of faith before you see the growth and the results, but it'll be more than you'll get for that cost. So it's not, I spend, you know, a couple hundred or a couple thousand on this course equals I'll make a couple hundred, couple thousand, or I'll lose that money. It's I'll spend a couple hundred on this course and I'll make a few thousand based on what I learned from this. And so I think that was a big shift. Um, I had also seen, I think it was Morgan Rapp or somebody had said how like, basically like, it's not really authentic if you're asking clients to invest a couple hundred or a few thousand in your services, when you're not even willing to invest that kind of money in yourself and your services and your business. And I think that really struck a chord with me because I really value being authentic and relatable to my clients. And it was like, oh, how can I ask them to spend a few thousand on my services when that feels like a big investment for me. At least like, at least if you spend that money, you can empathize and say, yeah, I understand. This is really scary to spend this kind of money, but it's something I value doing and I do in my business. And so you can at least come at them and look at, look at the investment side by side with them. And I think that helps with, you know, your self-confidence and it helps make you more relatable. 
And then it just kind of goes back to the whole mindset thing of this is, you know, this is believing in yourself enough. Like this, this isn't just my little side business. I'm just doing this thing on the side or whatever. Like this is a business and I need to treat it as such. And I need to pour money back into it and believe that I am capable of running this business and of investing in myself, my skills. And so it's just, it's just a lot of mindset work, honestly, more than a financial issue. So then going back to organize and automate, you know, I don't really remember at the time. I kind of was thinking about it the other day. I was like, um, I'm kind of surprised that my husband let me like invest in this course when I had like no money coming in. Like he's, he's great by the way, but it's, it's, it's not a problem. Like he's, he's the rational person of the two of us. Like to use Disney terms, like he's the Roy Disney, who's the planner, you know, the numbers person. And I'm the Waltz who's like the, the dreamer, the aspirational person. So he's, he's a great balance for me, but I was, you know, and I do the same thing for him too, with his side hustle. I'm always the one who's like, mm, should you really be spending that money on this? <laughs> so we kind of do it to each other, but I, yeah, I don't remember when I just think, I think it must've just been such a no brainer for me because I had that real world experience of how important project management is and client experience is knowing those things. And even though I knew those processes through my other jobs, I didn't know how to do that in my own business and knowing how important it was to set that foundation from day one and say, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this right. I'm going to have the right processes and systems in place to grow upon versus kind of figuring it out as I go along and then having to get into a position like where I'm at now. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine being where I am now and having to send PDF invoices all the time or write down my own processes or this or that. And so I think it, I think at the time, I think it was just such a no brainer. And, you know, I, I knew that the cost, like it was I, from making no money to having to spend money as an investment. I knew that that was a cost and an investment that I needed to make that was scary, but I knew it would be worth it. And it would help me have that elevated brand experience, that client experience um, at a time when I really needed to elevate myself above, oh, she's just some random girl who's freelancing on the side now. I really needed to be elevated in the minds of anybody I worked with. And so I, I think it was kind of a no brainer for me at that point. Yeah, yeah. I love the fact that you said, if I'm going to do this, I have to do this properly because mm -hmm. I... I see a lot of new freelancers make the mistake of thinking, well, my business systems and processes and organizing my business and all the back end stuff isn't as important as marketing. So I'm just going to focus mm -hmm. all of my energy on marketing. I'm going to get the clients and I'm just going to figure out how to work with them as I go. And I think the problem is, and, and I know because I kind of did that myself, but I think the problem <laughs> is that when you do do that and you get your first clients, you suddenly have this moment of, oh crap, mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Even if you've worked with clients in other capacities in a nine to five job, say, um, it's, it's like you said, it's so different to working with them for yourself, for your own business. Mm -hmm. And it's so important. It's so much more important than we realize it is mm -hmm. in the beginning to get your client process right and to get your client experience right. Because I think there's a statistic, statistic, <laughs> there's a statistic that I read today that said something like 70 odd percent of freelancers said that um, their number one source of clients is word of mouth and referrals. Mm -hmm. 
Well, you don't just get referrals from providing your clients with an amazing end result. Mm -hmm. You have to pair that end result with an amazing client experience. Because if you think about it, no one is going to refer their clients and their friends and their colleagues to you if working with you was stressful, Mm -hmm. messy, unprofessional, like a client in, in a client's mind, unorganized equals unprofessional. Like that's, oh, yeah. Yeah. it's as simple as that. I'm sure we've all worked with someone in the past who was so all over the place and didn't really know their own process or give you the right information when you needed it. And, and all these different things were just falling through the cracks. And I'm sure yeah. we've all been there and thought to ourselves, never again. I think I hired the wrong person. (laughs) And we don't then go and recommend that person to our friends. Mm -hmm. We don't then go on our Instagram story and start posting about, oh, I've just worked with the most amazing designer and blah, blah, blah. Like even if the end result they've given us is good, if the process that they gave it through was messy and unprofessional, it just kind of tarnishes the entire experience. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. make us likely to want to shout that person's name from the rooftops. So I think that people, particularly new in business, tend to underestimate how important Mm -hmm. it is to have that down, to have that, that part of the puzzle. And it's so much easier for you and your own mental health if you oh yeah stuff if you can sort that stuff out before you start taking on the clients or you quit your nine-to-five job because once you jump in and then you're trying to wear all the hats that we've discussed and then you've also got to try and organize your client process on on top of like while you're working with the clients (laughs) it can just feel overwhelming yeah I really want to jump on that soapbox for a second because I love that you talk about that because that's something I'm also super passionate about is how important it is to get a good client experience, project management as well. You know, that's there's a reason why freelance designers or any freelance creative really, why we have a reputation of being unorganized, hard to get a hold of, unreliable, Mm -hmm. messy, XYZ. And it's because, yeah, because we're we're not giving the client something to, you know, something to kind of react to or to really like giving, giving them a framework and experience. Something that I learned at Disney that was so helpful for me. I, one of my mentors there, and we're still, we're still in touch to this day, which is really cool. Um, One of my mentors there, a project manager, and he's, you know, a project manager to the core, you know, he's not a creative, but he's a solid project manager, has all the credentials and experience doing all that. One thing he taught me that was so important at Disney was to always kind of hold the client's hand or to give them a framework, even as simple as when you start a project meeting with a client, he would, he would tell me, okay, now give them a rundown of what we're going to talk about. So, Hey, thanks for jumping into this meeting. You know, we're going to chat about this project and these three pieces and X, Y, Z. And then this is basically just covering the agenda before you get started. And he said, that way they know that you're, you've got this you're in control, not in a controlling way, but like, you know, this, the roller coaster isn't going off the rails, you know, you're in control that the project is being taken care of and that they're in good hands. And that's something that I have brought over into my business. And I think that's so important because I think your clients want to know that you've got this, that they don't have to manage the project for you. 
you know, and that you're, you've got this, you're in, they're in capable hands, you're leading the process, you're leading the way that's going to make them kind of breathe a sigh of relief, trust you more, and then give you, give them a great experience. That way they recommend, I mean, how many times have, you know, I switched doctors or, you know, different, um, these people I've worked with because, you know, maybe the doctor didn't have a good bedside manner. They brushed off my concerns or they downplayed something that I was worried about. And then you go find somebody else. They, it could be amazing, but because they didn't have that experience that you wanted, then you go find somebody else. Or I, you know, I think about times where I've worked for people who have been people I've been freelancing for. Um, so another studio I worked for back in my early days, where they were just so or- unorganized and messy and like all the processes were in their head. And they're like, it just makes sense. It's all in my head. And as a freelancer, that was so frustrating to work for them. And now, yeah. now that I have a team, I don't want to be that boss. And so having that all kind of in place, that way I can hand down processes and have systems that are easy for somebody else to jump into. But I think going back to the thing with freelancers and how important it is to have that project, you know, whether you abide by project, I'm a big project schedule person. I live and die by my deadlines. That's just my agency experience. Some people like my coach, he doesn't do that, but it's, but he still has project, you know, project management and client experience. You know, he just doesn't live and die by specific due dates, but whether you do or not, I think it's still important to have kind of those processes and frameworks in place that let the client know, Hey, you know, I'm going to work on this. It's going to be about like a two to three week turnaround, or I'm going to give it back to you on the 16th or whatever it may be. And just letting them know, here's what's going on. And so that way they have a good experience. They know what's expected of them, what they can expect of you and having that good experience, especially when you're first starting out and you need to shine and you need to be elevated. You need to be more than just that college friend who's freelancing now, or you know, so-and-so's connection who freelances now. Like you need to be there a professional designer when you have no clients or barely any clients, barely any money. Like you really need to be elevated in your client's minds and to get that referral to the next project. That's when it's so important. This isn't something to really wait on and deal with later. Yeah, exactly. It is so much more important than people realize. And, mm-hmm. you know, we can... We can uh, try all of, these, all of these different marketing strategies, which I do recommend. Like we can do Instagram marketing and whatever else you fancy, like maybe Facebook group marketing, if that's more your thing, like whatever it is. But, and, it, and those are great things to do because you kind of take your marketing into your own hands and you don't just rely on referrals. But mm-hmm. we also can't discount the fact that, mm-hmm. you know, half of your clients are going to come from referrals if you do this properly, if you actually, you know, not only provide a great result, but a great experience, then you can end up like increasing the number of referrals that you get. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's something that we, that we always want to do, right? Because I think that like, if you can team those two things together, like doing the, the marketing side of things, like the Instagram stuff or social media stuff, whatever it is that you choose to do, teamed with getting those referrals that yes, you can't really like control as much as other aspects of mm-hmm. but will bring in a lot of, of, of revenue for you and clients, then that's exactly what you need to do is like team the two mm-hmm. things together so that you're not just reliant on referrals or you're not just reliant on social media, but you've got those two things working mm-hmm. together. I think, oops, I just hit my microphone. <laughs> 
I think that that is when you end up with a really like solid marketing system when you're not just relying Mm -hmm. on like one or the other but you've got them both working together and I think that is why ultimately working on organizing your business and particularly particularly your client experience Mm -hmm. so so important but um you did kind of mention in that that you've gone from you know being the freelancer to now having a team and (laughs) from our previous you know, conversations that you now have a six-figure business. Well, I think you mentioned that in this interview as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't you go ahead and explain a bit about how that journey has has happened, how you've gone from being that freelancer who had like three clients, I think it was, you were saying. In your right, <laughs> barely. <laughs> barely any clients in your first year to now being a six-figure studio or agency and somebody who actually has a team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as I've shared, it's just been a long journey, long, yeah. slow. There's no magic pill. There's nothing that like skyrocketed, whatever. I still have the tiniest Instagram in the world and whatever you know, barely any email list. Like it's, it's all pretty small, but at least I'm doing those things. But what's, what's been most important is just keep going and just continuing to put one foot in front of the other and do the next thing and just kind of continue to grow one bit at a time. So some of the things that really turned the needle for me, um, as I shared, you know, the first year was just really slow mm-hmm. working on myself as a person and just doing whatever work I could get. Second year, I did a lot of like low paying design work. I would call it just general graphic design. Mm-hmm. That's basically anything people would pay me for. I would do if I had the skills to do it, obviously. Um, and I think I needed to do that. I just needed to get some kind of consistency and work in and some kind of money in. Yeah. Um, so, but it, it was what it was. But then, you know, I kind of had that like aha moment late 2019 where I was like, okay, I want to reignite my passion for branding and brand strategy and really embrace the path I was on. And then that's kind of when things started to go. And so then I started offering brand strategy as a part of brand design. And my clients really saw like, you know, a lot of great results through that. They loved the process. Um, I also, that was around the time I invested in my coach and my mastermind and kind of did all of that. And then also in early 2020, I was really blessed. I, through a personal connection, a referral, wow. Um, that was actually through a design friend. Um, so a friend of mine who, you know, pers- a personal friend, but I mean, you know, we had, I had freelanced for her on a few things. So she had seen my work and my process and XYZ. So she knew I was worth being referred to for this client, but um, it was a, it's a big international uh, nonprofit client. And I, they're still an amazing client to this day. They're a big part of my revenue. So consistently they're about 30% of my revenue every year. And just, uh, which is uh, crazy, but like they're, and they're so much fun to work for. And so they've been, that was a huge blessing that came in and really kind of propped my business up. But at the same time, I was doing a lot of branding work. And because I kind of put a niche and a specialty out into the market and said, Hey, I'm a brand strategist. If you're just looking for like a quick logo, I'm not the right person. But if you're looking for a brand that's going to tell your story, align your messaging, make an emotional connection with your audience, then I'm the person you want to talk to. And so just basically when I would talk to people, telling them that, and then that way they could decide if I'm right for them or not. Because if I'm not right for them, I want them to find someone who is right for them. But if I am, then they know this is what I do. And so then once I started to notice that all of my clients were coming to me for brand strategy, brand design, for the most part, I wasn't getting anybody like, 
hey, can you do like a $200 logo? Like I wasn't getting any of that. And then I knew, okay, my messaging and my positioning is working for me and I'm getting the right kinds of clients. And then it was just a matter of, you know, doing, doing really great for this client project. Maybe it was less than I wanted to be paid for, you know, especially in the early days, like we're talking really early days, but I tried to really knock it out of the park and do amazing on it. And now it's valued client relationships still to this day. Or now I have that work in my portfolio and I can use that project to sell the next client brand for maybe a little bit more, knock that out of the park, use that to, you know, attract the next client for a little bit more X, Y, Z. So just a matter of continuing to scale slowly bit by bit by bit. I think the most important things for me was, you know, finding my niche, um, you know, of brand strategy and really trying to be known for that. And then continuing to invest in coaching which gave me confidence to raise my prices, increase my value, investing in courses to teach me more about my craft, which allowed me to raise my prices more. I was like, I should be charging way more for this. And my coach is like, I know, I've been telling you that. <laughs> but then you you were like, oh my gosh, there's so much more that I could be doing and investing and charging for this. Um, so that was a big thing as well too. And then I think, especially with the pivot to becoming a studio or agency, that was something that I had always wanted. It's something I'd always imagined having a team and being known as an agency. And I kind of, at first I started, you know, the meme where it's like all the designers, this is this, this the guy, the stock photo guy. And it's just a bunch of photos of him. And the text above it says, we are a multidisciplinary award-winning agency. And it's just a bunch of photos <laughs> of the same guy. Yeah. Like That's kind of how I started out. And then I was like, no, I'm going to be authentic. It's me. And so I kind of went down the girlpreneur route a little bit which is so not me. It works great for some people, but just not for my personality. But it was a thing. I was just doing what everybody else was doing. And then and then actually, once I started to bring on my junior designer, I was like, okay, now I actually am a we at this point. And then actually, it was while I was going through simple sales school, you had your first module about niching. And I already was niching by specialty of brand strategy. But then I also decided to niche by style. And so then I really took a look back at my brand, my own brand's style, my own brand's positioning, which um, if people aren't familiar with the term positioning is a brand strategy term, which is basically the role that you play in the minds of your audience. And so I was positioned as a girlpreneur and I wanted to be positioned as a agency, a studio that would be trustworthy and capable of handling more few thousand dollar higher end projects. And so I knew I needed to change my own brand positioning to attract those kinds of clients as well. And so that all kind of came about while I was doing simple sales school, which is really fun. I redid my website. It's kind of all happened at the same time, but that was also a big pivot for me. That change I made, um, I think last summer. So that's when I made the official, okay, my brand is not Amy the Girlpreneur. It is author brand studio. We are a design team. And now it's not just me as a stock photo, like in a bunch of different positions, it's actually like, there's a team of people. It's, you know, me, my husband and my junior designer, and then other contractors and interns that we may bring on. So that's kind of how that is. So basically that was a really long answer, but it was just a really long, slow road of small decisions, one after the other, making the right investments at the right time and just continuing to evolve over time. Yeah. All right. No, I, I loved that whole answer because it was so in-depth and I feel like it gave so many people who are listening to this right now, like a really good look at what it takes to 
go from freelancer to studio Mm -hmm. or agency and to go from less than three clients in a year to a Mm six-figure design business. And I, I wrote down from what you said that the uh, the four kind of key takeaways were that you learned to be confident in investing in yourself. Mm-hmm. You increased your pricing with that confidence. Mm-hmm. You really focused on your niche and your messaging and your positioning, which mm-hmm. you did a great job at explaining, by the way. I always, for some reason, whenever somebody like puts me on the spot to explain what I mean by positioning, I'm always like, um. <laughs> um but yeah, no, I think that overall, like that, that point that you made about positioning was such a fantastic one because I think that is often something that so many freelancers in particular can Mm -hmm. go about getting wrong and it's okay for anybody who's listening who's thinking oh I don't really feel confident in how I've positioned my brand like I think I've positioned myself as like a a, you know somebody who's not like high value or something Mm -hmm. I think that's okay if you're listening to this and you're thinking oh I'm not sure about my positioning because you've just heard Amy discuss the evolution of her brand. Like nobody Mm -hmm. gets these things, their niche and their positioning and their pricing. Mm -hmm. Nobody just gets it or rarely anybody does (laughs) from like- Oh, I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. Exactly. Like like you will evolve over time and Mm -hmm. you'll learn more about these things. And the more you do learn about them, you know, the better you'll you'll improve Mm -hmm. these things in your own business. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So, um, do you still use, I'm curious, do you still use Organize and Automate now that your business is like technically completely different (laughs) to where you first began when you joined the course? Yeah, absolutely. Like my processes and systems really haven't changed that much in four years. And I think that's because I did the work to set things up early and I'm so glad I did. So I, um, I don't use Dubsado. I use something called Bonsai. I think we had already started using Bonsai at the time. I've always been curious about Dubsado though. I'm kind of have to check it out. But um, so I use Bonsai for invoicing and contracting. It works great. And thank goodness I started doing that pretty early on. So no more PD, typing up a PDF invoice and sending that off. Like, oh, so glad I don't do that anymore. Bonsai, so something like that is so worth it. Yeah. I use Asana religiously. I love Asana. I know you cover that extensively in the course. That's where I first learned about it. And it's it's just so easy to use. It's simple. I just, I, I just basically like, I just describe it like a car. Like I just want wheels and windows. Like that's really all I want in a car. And Asana is basically the wheels and windows version. That's all I want in a project management system is just tasks and a calendar and messaging. And that's really all you need. That's really all I wanted. And I use it to this day. And yeah. And then, you know, different, te- different things that you taught me, like, you know, don't email your clients after hours. Like if you don't want them to email you after hours, use the auto send or the schedule send, whatever it's called in Gmail, all those different tips and tricks have been so helpful. Um, but I definitely, Asana was like the biggest thing that I learned. I even went back to organize and automate because I went through it when I first started four years ago, it's changed so much. So I actually want to revisit it this year because there's just been so many updates. And then now I am, now that I have like a team, I want to make sure that I can pass on my systems and processes easier to them. And so I just want to go back and revisit it because now I'm in a place where I'm like, okay, I really want to make sure my business is set up and solid in that area. 
like, I know it is like, it's, it's been going great. So it's not that there's a problem, but I just want to go back and revisit and see if there's anything new I can learn or anything I can kind of look at now that my business has changed so much, but I still use, um, I still use so much of it. And I even went back to it recently, like I was saying, because I wanted to build like a client welcome portal or guide. And I once again, I was on Pinterest and then I came across your pin about that. And I was like, Oh yeah, Misha talked about this in Organize and Automate, didn't she? <laughs> so I went back to that module, watched everything, and then watched about why it's important to have or why it's helpful to have a digital one versus a physical, you know, booklet you send out to people. And I'm like, great, that's more green, eco-friendly. I love that. And there's all these other reasons as well. So so I set that up. I followed your script of what to include on there, made my modifications as I saw fit. And then I even did my own screen recording on how to use Asana because I had just been sending out screenshots to people over email and here's how you use Asana, which is so professional, right? So professional. <laughs> and, and then I would have clients who would say, I don't know how to use this or this, not many people because Asana is really easy to use. I think it's kind of hard to not know how to use it once you get into it. But I still had a few people who were like, this is confusing. Why can't we just email? And I'm like, because no. And so then I did the screen recording. I'm like, now no one can tell me they don't know how to use Asana. But I, you know, I followed your script for that too. It was so helpful. And so now I have this really nice, like I feel so it saves me so much time because I used to drag and drop those screenshots into my email because I couldn't figure out how to embed them and just send the same email to everyone. And so now I can just, you know, I can have a script that says, hello, XYZ, so excited to start working with you. Here's a link to the client welcome guide. And it's just a link. And then I can just whoosh, send that off to the client and just have this nice professional portal to send people again letting them know that their project is in good hands that i've got this that i'm steering the ship and that they're they're safe and they can trust their project with me and my studio my team and just just another client experience touch point and that's been that was really fun i just got to revisit that a couple weeks ago and put that in and i'm like why didn't i do this sooner but then again things always happen at the right time and so i was able to get that up and running when i had some big clients coming my way and that was really helpful yeah. And I'm really glad that you actually mentioned the whole welcome page thing because um, this episode is going to be published on the very same week, I think, that I'm releasing um, the welcome page webinar. So it's like a class called How to Create Your Welcome Page in One Hour. And it's a part of, it's a lesson inside of Organize and Automate, like you said. Mm-hmm. But temporarily, it's going to be available for free, you guys, everyone that's listening, for like three days. So you can watch that for three days. And if you're like listening to this the day that this episode comes out, then you can just click the link below in the show notes and you can just sign up. Or actually we might just make it an evergreen link so you can like click the link in the show notes and you can go ahead and watch that masterclass so you can see exactly what Amy's talking about when it comes to creating a welcome page. And you also get to have a bit of a taster of what organize and automate the course is like, because like I said, that class is from the course. So that was perfect timing. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> sort of wrap up this interview. What would you say briefly to anyone who's thinking of joining Organize and Automate? I mean, I would say do it, do it now or do it later. <laughs> because if you if you're just starting, if you don't do it now, your systems and processes are going to come back and bite you in the butt at a time when you're booked out for weeks and you're running a team and now you're having to tell them how to do things. And you're still sending those PDF invoices to clients. Stop doing that. 
So it's, I'm just so glad I made that as my first investment because that took a lot of time, stress, pressure off my plate. As I've mentioned a couple of times before, it really helped elevate my brand experience. If if I even had a brand at that point, which you everybody has a brand, you know, even if you don't think you do, you do have some kind of a brand. It's just the experience someone has with you. So I was able to elevate my quote unquote brand at that time when I really needed it to be elevated and really needed to, you know, win trust of client, my clients' trust and repeat work and you know, positive reviews or whatever like that. And so I think, you know, just going back, it's just something I'm so passionate about is having freelancers, designers, any kind of creative freelancer, having like those systems and processes in place, it's just going to elevate the experience someone has with you. It's going to make them trust you and trust is huge. I don't think we work with people or continue to work with people or refer them or even hire them in the first place if we don't feel like we can trust them. And that trust also helps you elevate your prices too, because you know that you're offering not just a great end product because you're talented, you have your business. So of course you're talented, even if you only have three clients, you're still talented. It's just the world doesn't know it yet. But then you can also have the uh, the client experience that can go with the prices you want to be charging. That's just, that's just such a huge part of it. So I just, I just think, you know, no matter where you are in your business, it's such a great investment. It truly is. It's something I recommend to a lot of people when I talk with them. And it's so much more helpful if you're just starting out because I just, again, I can't imagine having to redo everything at this point. And I'm just so glad I'm not in that place where I have to build this from scratch while I'm trying to run, like grow and run and scale a six-figure design studio and a team and try not to be that boss who is like, it's just all in my head. And then now you have to tell somebody else how to do it because it's all in your head. And they're like, what What on earth? So I'm just so glad that I made that investment when I did. And because now I'm not worrying about those things. Now I can just say, okay, let me revisit this course and see what's new, see what I can improve on, but not have to worry about gutting the whole foundation and starting from scratch. So it's, it's so worth it because it just pays off, not just in your own peace of mind and your schedule, but also just in that experience that you give to your clients. And then that can directly impact how much work you receive as well as how much you can charge for the work that you do. It, it definitely does. It really, really does. And one last question for you. Um, if everybody who's listening to this right now wants to follow you somewhere or they want to, you know, I don't know, find you online, interact with you somehow, where can they go to do that? Yeah. Um, my website is www.authorbrand.studio. That's A-U-T-H-O-R brand.studio. Um, I'm also on Instagram at authorbrandstudio. I don't post. I'm not that active on there. I'm one of those people who's migrating to more focus on email marketing than on mm-hmm. Instagram marketing. Yeah. So I also have a link in my Instagram for different freebies and things like that. You can sign up for my email list and get updates from the studio and to see what's going on. So. Brilliant. Well, thank you again for, you know, freeing up your time today to have a conversation. It's been amazing to finally talk to you like face to face and actually (laughs) put a voice and a name. No, sorry, a voice and a name, a voice and a face (laughs) and a name. So yeah, thank you for, for having this conversation. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hey friend, thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss future episodes. 
And if you're feeling extra motivated by what was discussed today, I would seriously appreciate it if you'd open up the Apple Podcast app on your phone and leave a super quick review. Honestly, your reviews tell iTunes that this podcast is worth listening to. And iTunes then gets this show in front of more solopreneurs so they can get the help they need to bring more inner calm to their business. Okay, that's it from me today. Thank you for listening and I will speak to you soon.